Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Thank you, Pastor Kelly. Thank you, worship team. I love that opening song today. I hope we keep singing that one. Oh, beautiful day. Thanks to everybody who helped out with the food drop yesterday. So glad it was a beautiful day for that. Thank you for making a difference there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, do you ever get into a situation and wish someone would have taught you more about that situation before you got into it? Uh, You say, well, if I had known that beforehand, I would have changed some things or done some things differently. Do you ever wish your parents would have taught you more things? Like a little bit about money. Like would that have been helpful? Like thanks for telling me to invest, but if you could have actually told me like how to do that and where to go to get that done, I might have done more of that. Or more about relationships. Would that have been helpful? I mean the two people that model relationship to you uh, wouldn't have been great if they had said, hey here's some stuff we struggled with and here's how you might want to navigate or that kind of thing. Do you wish people taught you more how to deal with people? How about this one? Do you wish people or someone, your parents, whoever, would have taught you more about what's going to matter most in life? Like what's going to matter five years from now, 25 years from now, 100 years from now? What's going to matter for all eternity so you could spend more time focused on those things rather than just the problems that are only going to last a day or a week or a little while? Your heavenly father wants to teach you these things. He loves you. Don't ever say your heavenly father didn't teach you. He wants you to grow and change and develop. He wants you to know the most important things in life and more so that we can be aligned to his will. He wants you to accomplish his will for your life. A few weeks ago, we started this series looking at the most important things that align our lives and our church to God's will. They're summed up in the great commandment and great commission. If you tell me you love this series, I'm gonna ask you, what's the great commandment and great commission? If you tell me, I'm not really digging this series, I'm gonna ask you, what's the great commandment and the great commission, okay? And we discovered that uh, our model church The first church empowered by the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem recorded in the book of Acts, we see the attributes of a church. And one of them is that the church is disciples devoted to growing. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, Acts 2, 42. Why did they do that? They did that because in the Great Commission, Jesus told the apostles to teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And we discovered that when we are growing in these things, we're aligned to God's will. We're aligned to God's will when we are growing in Christ, a life rooted and growing in Christ. You see, when you repent and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, look, you're saved. But many Christians never grow after that. They never change. Uh, They never conquer an addiction. They never become less materialistic and more giving. They never reconcile a relationship. 
Do you want to change? Do you want to grow? We all need to grow. We're all sinners. Listen, every church is full of sinners. Some churches know it, some churches fake it. The way you grow, the way you change, the way you overcome sin is the same way I have changed and grown and need to grow and will continue to grow. It's the same way the first century followers of Jesus changed and grew, same way the apostles grew. It's this, God helps me grow by teaching me scripture. You might write that in. So last week we were in Matthew chapter three, we studied Jesus' baptism and the nature of belonging to Jesus. Today we're turning the page to Matthew chapter four where Jesus is experiencing life uh, just the way you and I do. He was tempted by the devil. Matthew chapter four, verse one, look at it with me. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit, this is right after his baptism, into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came to him, came and said to him, if you are the son of God, the devil loves to question what God has just said. Jesus was just affirmed as the son of God at his baptism. So here comes the tempting. There's baptism, then there's battle. There's a voice from the light, then a voice from darkness. The voice from the light speaks once, the voice from the dark keeps going and going and going. There's, first there's water, then there's fasting. There's or water than desert, filling than fasting. There's belonging, then there's growing. Here's a question for you. Can you imagine getting to the place in your life where you are so led by the Spirit as Jesus was, where you are so pleasing to God as God said Jesus is? Imagine getting that to that condition. How would you, how would you assume your life would go? What would your life be like? You see, when good things happen to us, what do we almost immediately assume? We assume, hey, I must be doing things right. I must be doing pretty good. My life is going better. I must be doing it better than others. My life is going worse. I'm facing trouble or testing. Uh, I must be worse. I must not be doing it right. Here we have the exact opposite. There was one person who's completely led by the Spirit, completely pleasing to God. How did his life go? You will never outgrow temptation. It is not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. It's a sin to not trust what God has said and give in to temptation. And anyone who tells you that God's favor means endless blessings and riches and no hunger, no temptation, no suffering is not offering you the real thing. Life is a test. Will you remember God's love for you and will you rely on him? So if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Now can you imagine how hungry you would be? I just want you to think back 40 days with me. 40 days ago was January 16th. It was a Tuesday. It was the day after Martin Luther King Jr. Day. It was freezing outside. I think it was a high of, of like six that day. Are you with me? Do you remember this day? 
It's very, very cold. People were still warming up from one of the coldest NFL games on record where the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Miami Dolphins, the Arrowhead. It's freezing. Do you remember to that Tuesday, 40 days ago, it was a snow day. Are you with me in your mind? Can you remember something you were doing at that time? You have not eaten since then. If I miss two meals, I'm a living, breathing Snickers commercial. I've had times in my life where I've missed a couple of meals and I've said, I'm so hungry, I'm starving. And you would have looked at my life and said, Ryland, you're actually overeating. And the enemy comes to him and says, uh, look, look, you're in the desert. Look at all these stones. Turn them into Cosentino's mini soup bowls. <laughs> and eat. Satisfy yourself. Eat something. I wonder if Satan manifested the smell of bread. Like, you know, when you go into Subway, it's not real bread, but it smells like bread. But Jesus told him, read this word with me, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What word from God is he relying on? The word he just got at his baptism. That he is God's son with whom he's well pleased. I got to put this down and I should have got a lighter rock to tell you the truth. Then, what happens next? A a second temptation. The devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, jump off! Took him out of the wilderness. This point is 200 feet up in the air. And then he says, for the scriptures say. So first temptation, Jesus comes back at him with scripture. The devil says, oh, we're using scripture, are we? All right, I'll give you scripture. He will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on, on a stone. We'll come back to uh, the significance of that temptation. But Jesus responded, well, the scriptures also say You must not test the Lord your God. And I will lovingly submit this is where so many Christians are today. They are just testing God, testing God, testing God. Do you know what that means? That means you're God and God is your servant. He quotes Deuteronomy 6.16 back. You must not test the Lord your God. Third temptation. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I'll give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. Now, I read this scripture this week in my grandfather's Bible, this whole passage, and maybe it says it this way in yours as well. Instead of get out of here, Satan, it says get thee hence. I loved that. I've been saying it all week. I was saying, drive, get thee hence. I was telling the kids to do something. They were disobedient. Get thee hence. They just stared at me like, what? You know, I've been telling the enemy, get thee hence. Just quoting scripture. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. That's Deuteronomy 6, 13. Then what happened? The devil went away. And angels came and took care of Jesus. Every time Jesus was tested, he remembered who he was in God and obeyed God. Now, I think that this 
account is one of the most amazing things to happen in history for many reasons. One of them is it testifies to the value of scripture, the value of us being people of the holy book and devoted to the Bible. God is passionate about scripture, the holy Bible that is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus did not say, I say to you, Jesus said, the word of God says, scripture says, it is written. If the word of God who became flesh had to learn the word of God, what's my excuse? Another thing that's so amazing about this account is that we see we have a savior who understands us. We have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Only person to perfectly obey God every time. This wasn't the only time he was tempted in his life, but these are the great temptations. Time in the wilderness, 40 days. And Jesus knows, he knows your struggle and he knows the secret to you overcoming that struggle and it's the word of God. If you're taking notes, scripture helps to protect me when I face temptation. How will you train yourself? How will you train your children to face temptation? Listen, the world ain't gonna get any less crazy. It's not like we're gonna wake up tomorrow and in the news they're gonna say, sorry, we were crazy, our bad. It's gonna get a lot better from here. That's not happening. Scripture, though, helps you overcome crazy. So, so why, why three temptations? I wanna ask that question. Why was Je Jesus tempted with three things? Why not one? Why not two? Why not 20? Why three? Why so much victory for Jesus in these? And this is one of my favorite things to preach. If you've heard it before, uh, you need to be able to show the people you're discipling this. You need to be able to teach this to your kids. I did a whole message on this last year uh, during Daring Faith on Daring to Counter Culture. Every time I've taught this, a stronghold for somebody in our church breaks. Every time I teach it, I, I, I've gotta teach this more often but you gotta hang with me and just track with me for a few moments. Why three temptations? It's because 1 John 2.16 says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. In this passage, we see the three values of the world. If the world had a mission statement, vision statement with listed values, these would be the three, these are the three values the world's going after. Every temptation, first of all, every temptation is based on a legitimate need. It, you have needs that are legitimate. Physical needs, emotional needs, mental, social, sexual, hunger needs. All of those are basic needs in your life. There's nothing wrong with them. Everything God created is good. And everything can be used it can be misused or it can be abused. It can be, uh, God created it. It's either divine or demonic is how you use it. Is, you can use it wisely, misuse it unwisely, abuse it. I illustration, is fire good? Yes, fire is good. Can fire be misused unwisely? Yes, can fire be abused? Yes, it can. 
Satan loves to misuse and abuse. Satan cannot create anything. He can only pervert what God has created. And so every temptation you have is based fundamentally in a need that you have, but the temptation is to disobey Christ and to do it in your own time, in your own way. The temptation of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Uh, it, these, three, these three temptations, the three things that they said about it is it was good for food. That's lust of the flesh. It'd be good to eat it. Uh, the desire to indulge. It said it was pleasing to the eye. That's lust of the eyes. I see it, so I want it. And then it was desirable for gaining wisdom. That's the pride of life. You'll be like God. You'll be as smart as God. So tell these stones to become bread. The temptation was to indulge, to misuse his strengths, to feel better. That's type one, lust of the flesh. Another temptation is the devil takes him up high on a mountain, says, look, see this, here's all the kingdoms of this world. All these things I'll give you if you worship me. Look at all these possessions. It's greed, it's selling out. I know God's called me to do this, but I'm gonna go after this. That's type two, lust of the eyes. The devil then tempts him to jump off the temple and be helped by the angels. What's the temptation here? The, the temptation was for Jesus to establish a religion just like every other religion, to come down as an example, come down in strength and say, if you be like me, you'll be saved. Satan is tempting him. Don't, don't, don't draw people in through suffering and salvation. Don't come in weakness. Don't be gentle and lonely, lowly. Don't be meek. Don't come down as a savior. Come down as an example. Be like every other religious founder who says, do this and, and you will live. Instead of coming and, and doing everything, being a substitute. Satan is throwing himself at the heart of Christianity. Every other religion says, you live a righteous life and give it to God. Christianity says Christ has lived a righteous life and gives it to you. How does Satan come against you and me? What's the main thing that he does? Does he try to possess you, knives coming at you? No, he questions God and tries to get you to believe a lie so that you'll disobey God, do it your own way. Misuse and abuse what God has given. Jesus withstood all the temptations. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. He understood them. He had Bible verses ready to combat them. He's the only one to withstand them perfectly. So the three temptations Jesus had, same three Adam and Eve had, same ones that John says are in the world. If Satan had bigger temptations than these, don't you think he would have used them on Jesus? Jesus is the better Adam, he overcame what Adam could not. These three types of temptation, by the way, are the basis of, of every single advertisement you'll see. Every temptation your kid will face, you've got to teach them to your kids. You've got to help them overcome them. You've got to help them have clarity for how the enemy will attack them in their life. A while ago, I was with, uh, riding in the car with a good friend of mine He's battled uh, drug and alcohol, sexual addiction in his life. As we're driving around, he's talking about his struggles. He begins pointing out every place as we're driving, 
that he could get what he would need or do what he could do to sin, to feed those addictions. It became overwhelming. I mean, you couldn't drive very far at all without another place. He started pointing out stuff that I'm like, I didn't even know that's what that was. And he said, how am I supposed to be clean with all of this around me? I told him, you, same thing I'll tell you today. You've got to get a different focus. You need a new worldview. When I drive around, I, I don't see all that because I'm not focused on that. And scripture has taught me how to take thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Scripture has taught me how to change my fantasies, goals, the things that I want to see happen in my life, those fantasies that are playing out in my mind to make those holy and pleasing to the Lord. And by the power of the Spirit, when you dwell on those things, they can guide you to God. Listen, our community will not take the temptation away. Scripture will not take temptation away, but it does give you a way out because there's always a way out. There is hope. I'm so glad for our Celebrate Recovery ministry uh, that's taught me how to endure testing and temptation. One of the verses here, James 1.12, just came to, to life uh, for me through Celebrate Recovery. God blesses, actually, let's read this out loud together. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. You need to memorize that verse. You do. A number of weeks ago, during 21 days of prayer and fasting, I was praying about something that I've been praying about for a while. I just had the thought come into my mind while I was praying, Rylan, stop praying about this. This ain't changing. It's not helping. And just give up. And you know what? I sat with that thought long enough that I started to think up Bible verses in my mind that would help that cause. I started preaching a sermon to myself on how to give up on this thing. And thank God, the Holy Spirit brought this memorized verse to mind and said, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. There is a crown of life. God has promised it to you. Do not give up. Do you have this verse memorized? Do you have a scripture also says in your mind? Scripture helps us through temptation. Number three, Scripture stabilizes me when I am confused. The world is confusing. Write that word in, confused. When I was in fourth or fifth grade, I went to a, a computer class. All the computers that the school owned uh, was in a room like this, and uh, we went down to the computer class, and they told us technology is going to help us simplify our lives. <laughs> I remember uh, the fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Sherman, she said, I just want to go on record by saying I'm against this, but you need to learn how to type. <laughs> I love that. And uh, things are not getting more simple. Things are getting more confusing. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, God, the Father, they're not the only ones who quote scripture. 
Some of the most dangerous people in our world today are people who in the name of God tell you it's okay to sin. And here's, they're listening to the Satan's tempting that says you can do whatever you want, live however you want and God will save you from it. Jump off and he'll save you. And here's what the word of God lovingly says. There are consequences to your choices. So what do you do when you're confused? I just wanna give you a, a, a few ways to help you interpret the Bible. I could give a whole message on this and we, we have and we will. But just some, if you've got some scripture verses or section of scripture you're struggling with, uh, I would encourage you first thing to do is read the context around it. And just read, read that and pray. And then ask yourself, do any other Bible verses help explain this? And then go to those Bible verses. And, and so the first two things, you haven't even left the Bible yet. You're just still there with the, the word of God. And a study Bible will help you uh, cross-reference and look for other Bible verses on that. But then also, one of the things I've discovered is I've never asked a question about the Bible that someone hasn't asked before me. And so a, a good study Bible can help you look down and, and help you wrestle with, answer that question. Uh, a couple of websites that, that I love is one of these, biblehub.com. It's uh, free, it'll cross-reference, show different translations. You can click on individual words and see the, the original word, the original meaning. And, uh, it's got some commentaries on there. Gotquestions.org is this team has answered, uh, I think, three-quarter of a million questions, Bible questions. And what I like about them is they're pretty short and they include a bunch of scripture in it. Uh, there's also a kid's version of gotquestions.org. You can find it on our RBFK site. Uh, Bible commentaries are very helpful. Having a small group and having different people gone before you, you can say, hey, what does this mean? What do I do with this? How do I wrestle with this? And what, are, what do you do when you get through all that and you still don't have an answer? You trust while you wait. There are Bible verses, things in scripture I still don't understand. But I have found that one day I will and God will give me the perspective I need. And I need to trust him while I wait in that and sit in that. Because the other option is, well, I could just throw that part out. Or I could rework that in a way that makes sense to me. But the problem is when you throw out something you don't like in the Bible, what just happened to all the things you really do like? They just became very shaky, didn't they? Because you chose them. And so I could throw out the stuff that I'm confused or don't like about, but then what about all the things that tell me I'm a child of God, that I have an eternity with Jesus Christ, that I'm more than a conqueror? I just put those on very shaky ground in my faith, didn't I? So no, you take the whole thing. The whole thing is the word of God. It's the whole thing is the canon, and you trust God while we wait. You patiently endure. You're gonna be tempted by the devil. You need the word of God to guide you. Now you might feel like today, you know what, I, I, I'll never get this right. I just wanna to talk to the person who says, I feel like a failure today, I know better. We've talked about temptation before, I can't seem to overcome it. And the enemy is gonna tempt you and say, uh, you, you don't belong, you don't really belong to Christ. Uh, you, you don't really belong at church. You're never gonna get this right. What are you doing here? This is not your God. These are not your people. And he's gonna try and sift you out of the house of God. Instead of listening to the enemy, you want to be drawn more closely 
to church, to Christ, to God? Why not listen to Jesus? In Matthew 9, 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now that word shepherd is often uh, translated to pastor in, in the Bible. People that point us and direct us and people who help us stay on the narrow road. Look, if you're confused, church is the last place you wanna run from. It's the first place you wanna run to. We are people of the book, of the Holy Bible, the Holy Book. And let me say, if you feel under attack today, if you feel defeated, if you feel like Satan himself is coming against you, number four, scripture is my best weapon against the devil. If there were a better, so if there were better temptations, would Satan not have used them? But here's the next question, is if there were a better weapon, would not Jesus have used it? It's so powerful. It's the greatest weapon against the devil. Now some people like to use scripture as a weapon and they'll say, well, it's a sword, but it's not a sword to stab your neighbor with, okay? (laughs) It's a weapon to drive away the devil. Matthew 4, 10, closes out the section, say, get out of here, Satan. Get, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. Here's the beauty of this text. What does the devil do? He went away. What did heaven do? They sent angels to come and take care of Jesus. When you are feeling tempted, when you're feeling overwhelmed, when you feel like you're at the breaking point, listen to me, you submit to God. You humble yourself to God, submit to him, submit to his word. You resist the devil and he will flee and heaven will minister to you. But God will not decide it for you. You have to make the decision. You can't just have a Bible, you can't chase the devil away with a book. Jesus didn't, Swing a scroll at him. You've got to know it. (laughs) It's got to be able to combat a, a stronghold, a lie in your mind. The scriptures say, the scriptures say, get out of here, Satan. Get thee hence. And some of you, you're battling your employer. They want you to do this or that which is offensive to God. I cannot tell you how empowering it is to say, to say, this is not what I said. Christ said this. Some of you are battling your kids. It's so empowering to say, listen, son, daughter, I did not make this up. I'm not parenting you by my authority. I'm parenting you by God's authority. And here's what God says. Everyone obeys something or someone in their life. Everyone has an authority. Everyone's guided by something or someone. Everyone has to determine what success is. Have you ever done this uh, exercise where you define success in your life? What is success gonna mean to you? Uh, There's so many um, different things out there that people have used to define success and they submit out there. Here's some that you can find. Bob Proctor said, success is moving toward the goal. Uh, Tony Robbins said, Success is doing what you want, when you want, where you want, with whom you want, as much as you want. (laughs) Winston Churchill, 
Mr. Churchill, I love what you did for us, but really, success is the ability to go from failure to failure without losing your enthusiasm. Uh, this one, uh, I, I got this from John Maxwell. I, I don't know if he is the, like the original person of this, but I actually really like this definition. It says, success means having those closest to me love and respect me the most. And uh, I think that's great. I mean, I want the people I live with who know me the most to be, res- I want my church to, res- I want to live in a way that's respectable to, to you, to my friends and family. So that's a good definition. Here's the problem. It falls really short. Because what happens when God leads me to do something or scripture tells me to do something, Christ tells me to do something, but uh, maybe my family isn't going to respect that? Then what do you do? What do you do if, if, if God leads you to do something, but the people closest to you in your life, they just don't see it yet, they don't get it yet, and they're not going to respect it. They're going to go against it. And that's why success, Jesus said, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. So what is success? Success every time, all the time, is obeying Christ. Everyone is obeying something. Everyone is living by something. If you belong to Jesus Christ, if you live according to his word, by the power of his word, we can grow, we can change, we can succeed when success is obeying Christ. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we looked at a lot today. Uh, We flew through a lot of profound truth and meaning. And we looked at your word today and we ask you uh, to just plant that deep within our hearts and our minds. Lord, make us confident in your word. Lord, I pray that uh, what is true today uh, will not be lost but that it will be remembered, that it will be held onto by the power of your spirit in us. Lord, I pray for someone who is just right in the midst of a great trial, great temptation. Lord, I pray that your word would confront any lies that they're believing in their heart and their mind. Lord, you know our habits, you know our temptations, you know the ways that we fall. You know what we're facing right now. You know what lies ahead that we don't even know about yet. But God, thank you for giving us a path of escape so that we can be free. And help us to be people of your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.